I'm going to introduce to you Matt Howdershell. Many of you know him. Matt is a recent graduate of UVA, and I've actually known Matt for longer than he's been around Gateway. Uh, his family and my family were part of getting a church started in Springfield about 20 years ago, so I've seen him from a wee lad. I wanted to introduce you to Matt. Matt, how long have you been at Gateway, and what role has Gateway played in your spiritual development? We've been at Gateway since it started, so I guess... 15 years now. Before I can remember, I've always been at Gateway, and like I can remember, like meeting at our house for church in the beginning. And so, yeah, I've been at Gateway a while. Gateway has played like a huge role in uh, my spiritual development. Grew up going to Sunday school when I was little. Wasn't exactly sure like, what role like God played in our lives. Really didn't understand that until summer of 2003 when I went into the youth group. We went on summer camp. Summer camp just really felt God's presence for like the first time and really just kind of knew that he wanted to get to know me and wanted me to know him and just have a relationship with him. And so that summer like I became a follower of Christ. And since then, Gateway just like continued to like lay the foundation of my faith. Uh, by the way, church next Sunday is at the Howder Shells. Just show up at 10 o'clock. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. So Pastor Ed's talking about the calling of God this morning. In recent days, I think you have felt a stirring in your heart and a sense that God is calling you. Tell us about that and what you feel like he's calling you toward. I guess backing up a couple months, I just graduated from UVA. And so before graduation, I was like, well, what do I want to do like after graduation? I was kind of thinking about maybe going overseas and doing missions for a year, just because that's something God has been kind of stirring in my heart, just sharing the gospel with other people, other cultures. That's something that God had been moving in me like for the past four years. But also music was something I was super involved in at UVA. That's what I studied, a gift like God's given me. And like that's something I didn't really want to ignore. So I did a mission trip to Richmond over spring break this past March. And while I was there, I met a guy, David Bailey, who runs this music ministry called Making a Melody. And he just invited me to spend the next year with him just doing music ministry and learning about ministry and music. And I'm like, perfect. This combines two areas God's been speaking to me. And so the circumstances line up really well. And I feel like this is what God wants me to do next. Okay. Specifically, what would that look like this next year? What you be yeah. So this next year, I'm like I said, I'm going to be doing music ministry and it's going to be in Richmond, Virginia. And Making a melody, they kind of focus on doing diverse worship and just like building like a multicultural church. In Revelation 7, 9, God talks about how all people, all tribes and nations will like come before the throne, one body and worshiping him. And like a lot of our churches today are still like divided along like racial and cultural and age lines. And a lot of that is in part due to like worship preferences. And so by like making a melody really focuses on doing diverse worship just to break down some of those barriers. And so what I'll be doing is... I'll be assisting with worship at a local church in Richmond, kind of that's in the inner city, that's really focused on reaching out to that community and focused on like building a diverse church. Then, making a melody is also really focused on making and like creating their own like new like styles of worship and just new worship songs. So I'll be helping out with that and getting to use my creativity there. And so that's kind of a, a little bit of what I'll be doing. It sounds like it's right up your alley. There's more information in your program, but how can we as a church family, as your church family, how can we support you? Yeah, so number one, through prayer, definitely. I'll be praying for me and just the ministry that I'll be working with, that it will just speak to people, that God's kingdom will just be furthered through it. Number two, I have to 
raise uh, financial support for this. I have to raise 1700 a month in order to do this, and I'd love for people to support me financially as well. All right, well, let's pray for Matt and this ministry. You go October, 1st of October, basically. So he's here for a couple more weeks. If you'd like to know more, there's contact information for him. I know he would be glad to sit down with you on the phone or in person and talk to you more about it. But I'm excited, having had a daughter that just came back from a one-year mission engagement. I am so excited that we've got young adults at our church, products of Gateway, who are willing to say, I'm willing to invest a year of my life in doing something kind of crazy. You know, dads at this time of life are like, so what kind of job you got, son? How much does it pay? And yet, here we've got somebody who's willing to step up and say, I'm going to put my faith into action, and I want to see if God can use my gifts and my passion for his purposes. So let's pray for Matt. Father, thank you so much for bringing Matt to this point, for training him for his background here at Gateway, for his walk with you, for his musical training, and for his love for music. And I just pray that this next year would be an awesome year for him, that you would grow him and bless him, and then through him, that you would bless others and use him to job to the Churchill community in Richmond, use him in service to this local church. And we entrust him to your care and pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Matt is feeling called to a ministry of reconciliation, of trying to, you know, tear down barriers and help Christ followers and other churches reach across cultural boundaries. Well, that's a ministry that all of us are called to, says Paul. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation because Jesus created peace between us and God. So for Gateway, we're kind of used to saying, the peace of the Lord be with you. Understand that implicit in that statement is an understanding that you're supposed to be bringing peace to the people around you. You're supposed to be extending Christ's peace, his love, in a very real way. You may not go pack up and move to Richmond and do music, and that's a really good thing for many of you, because I've heard you sing. But God still wants you to be involved personally in sharing his peace and in that ministry of reconciliation. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to share the peace of Christ with one another. So you can say, the peace of the Lord be with you, and somebody else might say, and with you. Or you're welcome to say, hey, how's it going? If you take just a moment, and uh, if there's somebody around you that you do not know, please introduce yourself to them. So stand and let's pass the peace of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we're starting a new series of lessons today that's going to take us through the month of September. This is our 15th year as uh, Gateway Community Church. Uh, We we started Easter in 1998, and we said that we were going to set aside the month of September to kind of celebrate this. So if you miss every Sunday this year, don't miss September 29th. September 29th, the end of this month, we're going to have a special celebration. We'll show a lot of pictures. As someone said yesterday, you will get to see Pastor Ed with hair, and and you'll get to see some of the folks here who've been with us for a while. We'll have service in here and then lunch afterwards and a good deal of fun in the cafeteria, or actually we'll be in the gymnasium. So please stick around September 29th. Do not miss that Sunday. Leading up to September 29th, we want to honor God and we want to brag about Him and we want to tell bits and pieces of the Gateway story over this next month. 
So for some of us, this will be remembering and reviewing and reminding ourselves what God has done. And for others of us, you may hear some of this for the first time. And we happen to believe that we are a masterpiece in the making. That's why we titled this series, Masterpiece in the Making. And honestly, I believe that you have stumbled into Gateway at a remarkable time in our history. I believe God is about to do some really big things through this church. And you'll also hear a little bit about that on that Sunday, September 29th. Um, So today we're talking about the call of God. And I'm going to give a little bit of kind of substance from Scripture about what the call of God is, explain the mystery. Well, that's not true. I won't explain the mystery, but I'll unveil it anyway. Uh, The mystery of God's call in our lives, the character of it. And then we'll talk about the very earliest stages of Gateway's life. And since Diane and I moved here in part to help start this church, you're going to hear, at least today, my story. So thank you for indulging me. It's a privilege for me to kind of retell some of that today, and I'm going to do that. Next week, we'll talk about the early years of Gateway and people like the Howder Shells and people getting involved in the early stages, and we'll talk about next week God's faithfulness. Some of you have heard me say, and there's no reason for us not to be honest with one another, you know, over 80%, and by one estimate, I've seen over 85% of churches in America are either stalled or they are declining. And Gateway is one of those churches and has been for over six years. And so week three, we're going to talk about that. We're going to tell some of what's happened over the last six or seven years. We'll talk about also Daybreak Community Church. Daybreak was a church about eight miles away from here and a church that decided that it would close up shop and join Gateway. Alex will be preaching that Sunday, and he will tell you the story of Daybreak, and he'll also tell you the story of those years at Gateway. And what we're going to do is talk about how God uses difficulty to strengthen us. We're actually going to have a panel of people up here as a part of that time who are going to tell their personal story and talk about how God has used difficulty in their lives. And I think it's going to be a powerful uh, Sunday for us. And then again, the 29th, 29th, we're going to talk about the plans of God. And we're going to cast vision for what God has for Gateway for the next few years. And we will have a celebration afterwards in the gymnasium. I think this is going to be fun. Don't miss it. So over the course of this month, by video and by personal testimonies or interviews, I want you to really see Gateway. And of course, Gateway is us. So if you look to the left or right, you're seeing Gateway. We've said many times over the years, when you decide to go out to lunch after church with someone here, that's a church business meeting. That's how the church does business. We are the church. You'll hear more about this on the 29th, but we're in the process of developing plans for building a building on our property over, I won't explain where it is today, but you'll hear And it's right down the street, and this is going to be a lot of fun and very, very exciting. Again, this is a thrilling time to get connected to this body. But what we're building is a facility. We're building a resource facility that God is going to be able to use for our church because we're the church. We're not building a church. We're building a structure that God will use to enhance the ministry of his church, which is us. 
So I want to introduce you to Gateway Community Church, and I thought we would start this whole series off with some of the most really awesome, deeply spiritual, profound, and wise, and good-looking and cool couples that we have at Gateway. And they were out of town, so Eric and Terry... You knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Eric and Terry agreed to tell their story this morning. We've stolen Eric from the three-year-old, so thank you for serving back there, Eric. <laughs> and we'll send you back as soon as y'all are finished. Okay. So, first of all, call of God, Eric and Terry. We have said from our experience and from Scripture that's that's all of those moments, those encounters with God when he redirects or interrupts, gives direction, gives vision, but also the time when we are initially brought into a relationship with him. So in terms of spiritual journey for Eric and Terry, how'd that happen? How did you guys become Christ followers initially? Because you came to Gateway, you came as Christians many years ago, and y'all came very early. How long have you been coming? Since 2003? Two. Two? Since 2002, okay? So y'all were 16 yes. when you came initially, all right? How did you guys make a connection with Christ? How did you first sense his call on your life? Okay, I guess going back to uh, early family life very quickly, I didn't grow up in a family that went to church every week, or every week, what am I talking about? We never went to church. And, uh, but I, God came up once in a while, you know, prayers during Thanksgiving and all that. So I don't have a memory of ever not believing in God. So there wasn't, I wasn't an atheist or anything, but I didn't have a connection with God at all. It probably wasn't until high school that a high school friend's father shared his story with me and shared with me the gospel. I didn't really know what he was doing. I didn't know, I didn't know that's what he was doing. I we were just having a conversation. So that's the first time I think I really heard God and Jesus connected together. And then it wasn't until later in college that, very late in college, we're almost graduated, that a friend invited me to church. And so I kind of Sort of felt God's presence every once in a while, but nothing strong, looking back at it, I guess. But, so I, I'm trying to figure out why I went to church with this person. But I did go to church, and the pastor there was pretty interesting. It was a pretty interesting church experience, but he said something that kind of stuck with me. I don't know if it was technically or theologically correct, but he basically made this. He said, you're either for God or you're against God. And that kind of stuck with me. I was like, oh. Because he described what happens when you're against God. And he mentioned something about you better have an asbestos suit and things like that. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very comfortable. That kind of spurred me to thinking about uh, God and what he's about and what it meant to be a Christian. And after I graduated college, I started listening to Christian radio because I was interested in trying to figure out what it was all about. And luckily, I came across this Bible Answer Man show that I've probably heard about. And that was right up my alley because he really he answered questions, specific questions about uh, Jesus and the Bible. And that's kind of my angle towards God is through the, uh, the facts and the figures and things like that. And that process helped me really confirm what I already knew, that, that God existed and that he, he wanted to reach out to us, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything about Jesus. You know, what's Jesus all about? So that process helped me learn about that. And so I started going to church and developed some relationships there with people and the pastor and realized that, hey, I need to, I need to make this real. So I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I was baptized there. This is a very short, quick version of everything. <laughs> and that's where that happened. It happened uh, uh, shortly after college. And then, you know, I met Terry. And, uh, well, she'll tell her more her story, but um, that's the initial 
part okay. of it. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Okay. And I like your description that that was your angle into it, and knowing you, I know very much that is your angle into it. Okay, Terry, how about you? Um, okay. I grew up Catholic, but we were definitely the um, one-hour-a-week pray-before-meals Catholic, so that was, I grew up with knowing, always knowing God. I never doubted the existence of God, but God was definitely a, a tyrant um, who was there to make sure I obeyed and did what I was supposed to be doing for fear of eternal damnation or something like that. You better behave. So when I started to get older and get more independent and things like that, it was very easy to drift away out of something that was just a complete obligation. There was no absolutely no connection to it. So once I got into college and out on my own, I never even gave got a nod really and I kind of got into some bad behaviors and bad relationships and things like that so by the time I was mid to late 20s I was kind of just out there kind of damaged and kind of floating along aimlessly not really knowing and then I met Eric and I remember thinking he was a Protestant, and even though I didn't really acknowledge God, <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, if I convert him, I'll get to heaven, because... <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I, I wasn't joking about that, because if, 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 if a Catholic can get a Protestant in, that's a good one. <laughs> so, so, but little did I realize that it was actually, I think, him that came to save me, because after we got married, we still didn't really talk about God or religion, but, and we got married in the Catholic Church, and we started going to Catholic Church after we were married, but then he was like, you know, I want to try a Protestant church, and I was like, mm, okay, and I still went to church Saturday night before at Catholic Church to make sure I got my checklist and then went to Sunday Church with him. The thing that struck me the most when we walked in was um, people were happy to be there. They didn't want to leave. They didn't rush out and bull you over in the parking lot trying to get out. They turned around in their seats to talk to you, whereas in Catholic Church, you know, you must face the Eucharist type of thing. So it was a completely different experience for me, and I realized I liked it, and I liked the people, and I stayed for the people, and then through the sermons, I started hearing of a God that I had never known. He was, you know, a God that wasn't there to damn me into hell. He was there to want me into heaven. And then I heard about Jesus, because Jesus to me was just a piece of the puzzle. You know, he was why we did Easter and Christmas, but I never realized the relationship end of Jesus and that he was my friend, and it just kind of pulled me over. So then when we came to Gateway, shortly after that, I got baptized. So you've been here since 2002. How has your experience here at Gateway nurtured your sense of God's call on your life? A big part of it had to do with really trying to understand the difference between trying to be a good Christian and having a relationship with God. That's, there's a big difference. I won't go into what I think that big difference is here, but uh, there's a big difference between activity and really opening up and let, letting God into your heart to you know, really get it why you are the way you are. And, and coming to Gateway, definitely that was a new thing for me. And, and it was bit, definitely nourished through the relationships that we formed in the home fellowships that we've been in as home fellowship leaders, seeing other people's lives. That, that has an impact on you personally and definitely had an impact on us, on me. And so being nourished by the folks at Gateway is kind of you know God reaching down to us. That's how he does it. I didn't realize that's how he did it, but at Gateway, I realized that's how God, that's really how God operates, I believe, through other people. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> uh, 
part of it was, I think the big part of it was the community study. We had done the community study, and I think that just for, at least, I know for me, but for both of us, because we really came out having, being so cohesive on our views of um, God and gateway and relationships and community, because we had just never been presented that idea that we were built for community, and we really came out of that study desiring to be leaders, and if you would talk to us even six months before, we would have been like, what? Actually, if you had talked about six months before, we would have been like, small group, what? <laughs> so it was pretty revolutionary for that part of it. And then since then, like Eric said, we've just loved our time in small groups and have grown as a result and Thank grown as parents. Thank you, Eric. Eric and Terry Foch. Anyway. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer before we um, leaf end our lesson this morning. Uh, Father, we pray that you would Call us today. Thank you for drawing us here this morning. That's what we believe. We believe that we have literally been drawn here by you and not by accident. As best we're able, we open up our chests to you and we ask you to massage your presence in our hearts and that you speak to us. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. This morning I want to use a really remarkable passage of Scripture that's kind of the opening salvo from the Apostle Peter in his second letter in the New Testament. And it's, it's really written kind of big picture, Peter's exhortation to the people that he's writing to. But what I want to do today is use this passage as a lens to look at God's call on our lives and how it is that God moves and stirs us and talk a little bit about the character of God's call on our lives. I'll do that quickly, and then I'm going to tell a little of our story in the first part of this masterpiece in the making. But I'm going to read from 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 through 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. It's a little letter from Peter. It's way at the back of the New Testament, if you have a Bible. And if you would, out of reverence for God's Word, would you stand with me as we read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses... 3 through 12. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, You may be seated. All right, so some thoughts, first of all, about God's call in our lives. Number one, our calling is about God. Our calling is about God. It's His story. It's His plan working through us. Pause. Our calling is about God. Our calling is about God. 
It's his story. It's his plan working through us. That's why Peter says we are called by his glory and goodness. It's about his work in us and through our lives. Older theologians used to use the word effectual to describe God's calling. It affects what it intends. It is effective. When it happens, it happens. John Piper, pastor and author, says the call of God creates what it commands. This isn't like a telephone call. This isn't like God calling on one end and hoping we answer. This is like God waking us up from sleep. You know how you wake someone up from sleep. You go, wake up! And they, they wake up. That's God's call on our lives. It's about God. Or better, the Scripture actually uses the analogy that we not have been woken up from sleep, but that we have been enlivened from spiritual death. We've been called to life by Him. This is why Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. The call of God creates what it commands. It's about God. It's His story. It's His plan in our lives. This is also why Jesus told His first followers, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Our calling is about God. It's His initiative. It's His activity. It's His plan flowing through our lives. This is what Peter means when he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Our calling is about God. It's about His story, His plan working through us. That's why over the centuries, theologians have also used the term irresistible. The call of God is effectual. It affects what it starts. It's irresistible. That's why Romans 9 says, and if you've never heard this passage, hang on. We're not going to spend a lot of time explaining this this morning. I told you I wasn't going to explain the mystery. I was just going to unveil it. And I'm going to give you both sides of the mystery today, at the end of which you're going to go, what? But it's true. Romans 9, listen to this passage. Reading in verse 14. What then shall we say, Paul says? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, stay with me. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. I raised you up that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed on all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. Ed, you're not saying that God acts like that, are you? Actually, no, I'm not saying that. God is saying it. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who's able to resist his will? Who is able to resist his will? But who are you 
a human being to talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Os Guinness is a British theologian. He's the author of dozens of best-selling books, and he went so far as to put it like this. Hang on to your hats. For followers of Christ, Guinness says, calling neutralizes the fundamental modern idea of choice. I have chosen you, Jesus said. You didn't choose me. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have no rights, only responsibilities. I'm going on with Os Guinness. Following Christ is not our initiative, merely our response in obedience. Nothing works better to debunk the pretensions of choice in the modern day than a conviction of calling. Once we have been called, we literally have no choice. It's irresistible. That's what Peter is getting at in verse 9 of our passage when he connects the idea of our calling to our election. God has elected us. Our calling is about God. It's about His story, His plan, His work in us. We've been called by His glory and goodness. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been called. The word church translates the Greek word ekklesia. Some of you know this. That's a combined word. What do you call those? I guess it's a combined word. Two words put together. Ek. Compound word. Thank you. I knew there was something my English teacher would be embarrassed that I had forgotten. It's a compound word. The word ek is just a preposition which means out or out from or even it can mean toward. Klesia is form of the word called or called ones. We are the called out ones. We are the called together ones. We are the ones who have been gathered. It's God's story. Your calling is God's story. Our calling together is God's story. It's His plan working through us. Our second major point, first, in case you didn't get it, Our calling is his story. It's about him. Our second major point, our calling is about us. It's our journey. It's our story. Our calling is our story. We must answer. We must say yes to God. And we must grow. We must participate with God or we will not grow. This is why Peter says, right after he said... It's his glory and goodness. He's given everything you need for life and godliness. Then Peter follows it in the next paragraph and says, so make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. This is also why Peter says in verse 10 of this passage, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. This is why Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. This is also why the author of the book of Hebrews said, make every effort to enter that rest. And by rest, he means our deepest, most profound laying in his arms connection with him. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. 
God's call in our lives is about us. It's our journey. It's our yes. It's our participation. This is why Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Here's the bottom line. Your spiritual life, your ministry to others, your encounters with God, your relationship with Him, even your struggle to believe and to understand is about God. It's His choice of you. It's His work in you. It's His calling you. His waking you up. A dead person doesn't say, wake me up. And that's the biblical analogy. And your spiritual life, your calling, your ministry to others, your relationship with Him is also about you. It's your choices. It's your participation. It's your openness to Him. It's your listening for Him. It's your obedience. And as we talk about Gateway Community Church together over this month, we need to remember it's about us. Our choices, our participation, our openness to Him, our listening to Him, our obedience. Because the same is true of our lives together. We have a story together as Gateway Community Church. It's being written right now. It's God's story and it's our story. We're going to spend this month celebrating that story together. And at the end of this month, I want to give us an opportunity to say together a deeper yes. So if I haven't mentioned it already, don't miss September 29th. Don't miss September 29th. September what? The 29th of what? Okay. But today I want you to hear the very first chapter, really not even the first chapter, it's the introduction to Gateway's story. Diane and I were living in an inner city section of Boston, Massachusetts, and we felt very called by God to pastor a church in That part of Boston, in fact, we felt very called specifically to that kind of ministry before we even felt called to that church. And over the course of about 11 years there, we ended up being there for 12 years, but over the course of about 11 years there, in between finishing schooling and Diane birthing three boys and the hassle of three small children and living in that neighborhood we began to be burned out. It was a wonderful church and great ministry, and we saw God do amazing things in that little church, and we saw God do amazing things in Diane and I, teaching us about His Spirit and teaching us about worship and teaching us about our own heart and our own lives and some of what Eric was talking about this morning, our own mess. But it was a difficult ministry in many ways. It was like a mash unit. And I didn't do a good job, I don't think, of taking care of Diane and I. Emotionally, we didn't know about building boundaries. And I didn't take care of us financially. And we were hurting. You know, we were ministering among a people who did not have middle-class inhibitions. So we would have and did have couples fight on our front steps and kick our door in. And Mike and Marianne Cannon have lived across the street from us for years. Mike has never kicked our door in in all the years we have lived there. And so I began to ask God permission to leave. We had felt so uh, specifically called to that ministry that I felt some sense that 
there was no way out for us. And you should also know in the early years of our ministry there, there were a couple of pastors and mentors of mine who lived in North or South Carolina. Diane is from North Carolina and I'm from South Carolina. Who would call me periodically and tell me about some great church that needed a young pastor and you go there. You Listen, Ed, you can go there and grow that church and then in a few years you'll get called to the next big church. And then a few years after that to a really big church. And that's just not the way I thought about ministry. So he called about LaGrange, Georgia and Marietta, Georgia and Lenore, North Carolina and outside of Conway, South Carolina. And I just had no interest in making that kind of move. And so as we would get those sort of calls, I would say, no, God has called us to the city. We're going to be here. So they quit calling. So here we were 11 years into our ministry and raising three kids in the inner city and asking God permission to leave and knowing that there's nobody who's going to call us because I've told them all to shut up and go away. So I had to finish up something with schooling that I was doing at that point and I needed a time of focused energy. And so Diane decided that she would go to visit her parents in North Carolina for, I don't remember what it was, Diane, a couple of weeks or something like that, and take the boys with her. And we agreed that we would pray together while she was away just to see what God had for us and to see how we should proceed. Should I just start, you know, there wasn't monster.com at that point. This was in 1843, and the Internet had not been invented, and Al Gore had not invented the Internet at that point. And you could send out resumes, or I didn't know where to even start. And, and that just all felt too random. I wanted God to do this. So we agreed that we would pray and ask God that he would open something up to us if he wanted something open to us. So Diane went away with the boys, and true to form in our relationship, she prayed like crazy, and I didn't at all. And during that time, out of nowhere, three different churches called me up. One was a large church in South Carolina, about 20 miles away from my mother, who was the early stages of declining health. And that seemed to be like, you know, an opportunity that could have God around it. I did not want to go back to South Carolina, but, you know, could we be near my mother? And there was another church, a very, very large church in a Midwestern city. The pastor was extremely complimentary and wanted me to be his associate. And, you know, said to me, what you need to do is come be part of a fellowship like this and learn and grow, and then you can pastor a church like this yourself one day. I thought, "Eh, that sounds really good. It also sounds like it won't be as hard as what I'm doing right now, honestly. And then I got a call from First Baptist Church in Alexandria. Now, Rob and Abby Showers were part of First Baptist in Alexandria, but I don't know that they had anything to do with this, or at least not anything to do with the vision. They may have had to do something with the connection to us. But First Baptist in Alexandria is a great church, older traditional church, but a great church. And they had a vision for planting churches throughout northern Virginia in the 90s. They were going to be unbelievably supportive of these new church plants, paying a salary for someone to come full-time, three years. The world of starting churches, that never happens. And half time, half of their salary for another two years just to get these churches launched in Northern Virginia. 
Two of those churches are alive today. One of them is Gateway. Another one is a fantastic church down in Lorton, New Hope. The other three churches didn't survive. It's Northern Virginia. You people are tough. So we got contacted by First Baptist Alexandria. Would you like to come here and plant a church? Now, I've got to be honest with you. I hated the Washington, D.C. area. I thought this was a goofy city. I thought the 495 was invented by the devil. We would visit periodically when we came through. Some of those times we stayed with the showers. Their neighborhood in Alexandria was lovely. You left their neighborhood, and I thought, ugh. I didn't like anything around here. Didn't like the people. I'm sure if I had met you, I would have loved you, but I just did not, did not like this area at all and would not have even entertained it except I had promised Diane if we hear from anybody we'll at least investigate it and entertain it but I am really sensing God's call to the Midwest (laughs) and as a second choice we'll go back to South Carolina we have a couple of phone conversations with this church in South Carolina it doesn't work at all I'm not really prepared to take that job I'm not what they're looking for, and they're not what I'm looking for. So decided that I would go visit the church, or actually they called and asked me to come visit the church in the Midwest, and I went out there, and it was horrible. I got off the airplane. I got off the airplane in the city in the Midwest, walking through the airport, saying to myself, gross. This feels absolutely random, and it's bizarre, and I could never do this. I met with this pastor, and he had arranged on three days' notice for his elder board, 39 people, to meet with me. And the whole board met with me one night. Wonderful people, you know, prayed for me. As they're praying, you know, give him direction. They're all sure what that direction is, but give him direction. I'm thinking, there is no way in the world I'm going to come here. So, you know, the morning I'm supposed to fly out that afternoon and meet with the pastor in his office, and he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I say to him, you know, I don't think this is where God wants me. Wait, 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 wait. Just promise me you'll go home and pray about it. Okay, but I really don't think this is what God's doing. I go home and pray about it a couple of days, call him up. No, this is not. Will you just pray about it a couple more days? No, I have prayed. And then we came down to visit northern Virginia and I was depressed God doesn't want us to leave because I don't want to come here I have to tell you and this is the truth Diane and I were talking about this day before yesterday I have to tell you I told Diane over the phone about these opportunities that I was getting while she was away and when she heard about planting a church in northern Virginia Diane said that sounds like us I thought you're crazy So we came here for a visit, and that church had put together a team of people that they wanted to use to vet possible church planters and also pray for them and support them in the early effort, and they were wonderful. I mean, they were wonderful. We connected with these folks. It was great. We loved their openness. We liked the area more than we expected to. And one of the nights that we were here on our visit, the pastor of the church in Alexandria came out to meet with this team and with us. I said to him, you know, where would you like to plant a church? And he says to me, wherever you feel directed. And I said to him, I don't have any idea. (laughs) What do you think? And he said, well, there's a lot of growth. Go down 
toward the south, the Lorton area, or you could go out toward the Centerville area, which was the locus of growth at that point, or you could even go out to the Dulles Corridor. Don't have any idea why. Never heard anybody since use the phrase Dulles Corridor, by the way. I thought that was some well-known term in in the Washington, D.C. area, but when he said Dulles Corridor, I thought, huh. I had flown into Dulles Airport, but didn't remember that. I didn't know what the Dulles Corridor, I didn't know what Dulles was. But he said Dulles Corridor, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I don't know why I thought that sounded interesting. Going to bed that night, Diane rolled over to me, and she said, you know, when he said Dulles Corridor, I thought, that sounds interesting. I thought, me too. We went back home, and we're increasingly feeling like God was nudging and pushing in this direction, that gentle hand in the back, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, and I'm too tired for that and don't want to do that, God, but yet it won't go away. And during that process, I had a dream one night. Twice in my life, God has used dreams to speak to me, and it's something that I have to recall for myself periodically because much of my life, I've told you you guys, those of you who are connected to Gateway, you've heard me say before, I am a natural doubter. God has won over a very stubborn heart in winning mine. And periodically, I'll go through periods of time where I think, you know, why don't you ever speak to me once in a while? And I get reminded, buddy, I knocked you out. I gave you a dream. And I made it really clear. I won't tell it all this morning. We don't have time. I dreamed that I was on a beach And I was with uh, six other people. There were seven of us. We were sitting around a bonfire. And God spoke to us. And he said to us, I won't explain all of this because all of it I can't explain, but I'll just give you the details. God spoke to us and he said, you know, something like, this is God. (laughs) I don't remember exactly. But I'm going to put you to sleep and I'm going to heal you when I put you to sleep. Some of you I'm going to heal emotionally. Some of you I'm going to heal spiritually. Some of you I'm going to heal physically. And I'm going to wake you up and I'm going to make you the new heaven and the new earth. So he put us to sleep in the dream. As we're being put to sleep, I prayed. I'm dreaming all of this. I'm still in my dream. I prayed, God, heal my heart. I have a really terrible family history of uh, heart disease. All four of my grandparents died of heart attacks. My dad died of a heart attack at 50. And I was discovered with high blood pressure when I was 23. So at this point, I had been on blood pressure medication for 16 years. So I prayed in my dream, God heal my heart, woke up, still dreaming, but woke up in my dream and I was in my apartment, you know how dreams are, it's not an apartment I'd ever been in, but I knew it was my apartment, and it was a very cool apartment by the way, and I go and I look out the window, and out my window there's this fantastic, like an Italian piazza, a little plaza area, and it is just full of people, it's a gorgeous day, and I think, well this isn't the new heaven and the new earth, what did that mean, but oh well. So I go out of my apartment, I start going through my day, and little by little through my day, I would meet the other six people that were on the beach with me. And, hey, how are you, Lou? Hey, Ed, what's up? What was that about? I don't know. What's new heaven and new earth? What do you mean? I don't know. You want to hang out? Sure. So we just started hanging out. And we're all asking the same question. What was that whole experience about? Don't know. Okay. But I did realize something. I realized how profoundly connected I felt to all these people. And there was one person in particular, Diane and I used to call him Eeyore. I mean, he was always negative about everything. And he was so great to be around. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe I like hanging around with 
this guy, I mean, this is just like having fun. And we're going through our day, all seven of us collect. So we're just hanging out together. The end of the day, we go back toward my apartment, and we walk through this archway onto the plaza area that was down below my apartment. And it's just packed with people. And I look on the far side of the plaza, and there's a figure. She looks like goth, although we didn't have that term, or if they had that term, I didn't know it at the time. She's dressed in black from head to toe, covering everything. You can't even see her hands. Hood over her face. All you can see this part of her face, but it's chalky white. It doesn't look human. It looks like the, the white of this paper. And instantly, my dream turned into a nightmare. And I thought, and this is not a common thought for me, I thought, she's demonized. We need to run and get away. So I want to turn and run and tell the other six people, we got to go. But now it's one of those dreams where you can't make yourself speak. You can't communicate to the other people that are with you. And I can't make myself run. In fact, instead of running, I start going toward this figure across the plaza. And as I do so, I notice two things. The entire sea of people parts. At the time, I thought, like the Red Sea... The crowd parts between me and this figure, and I look to my left and my right, and the six people are going with me. The whole time I'm wanting to tell them, Ryan, we got to get out of here. I can't make myself, and we keep walking toward this figure, and finally, I'm now, I'm terrified. This is one of the worst dreams of my life, and this figure is right in front of me at this point. The only way I know how to explain it to you is I heard myself say, Lucy, we know about your... We know about your, don't remember, we know about your family, we know about your kids and your family or something like that, something about your family. We know, Lucy, let us pray for you. And as soon as I said this, Lucy fell and hit the bricks. The hood falls off of her face and it shows, it looked inhuman. I knelt down beside her, put my hand on Lucy and I started praying for her. And as I did, the other six people started singing. And it was the most beautiful song I'd ever heard. It was like, I don't, I don't even know what this means, but it was like six-part harmony. Whenever I've told this over the years, Diane gets so excited because she says, I can sing. Anyway, <laughs> she was in the group. So they start singing, and it is spectacular. And I keep praying, and then I realize, I don't know the words that they're singing, but I realize they're singing Lucy's story. They're telling her story in song. I keep praying. I say, amen. I look up, and Lucy looks normal. She's like flesh-colored. So I grab her by the arms, and I lift her up, and I say, Lucy, you're going to be fine. We walk off, end of dream. I wake up. When I woke up, now I'm, wake up in, now I'm awake in real life. I woke up, there's nobody in the house. Diane had, I think, taken the boys somewhere. Anyway, the place was empty. But I, it's just spectacular. So I jotted some notes down. This is not like me. But I jotted some notes down about this dream so I'd be able to remember it. I never imagined I'd be sharing it with a group of people one day. And I'll tell you why in a second. And I go into the shower. I turn the shower on. I'm going to get my day started. And I get in the shower. And you've probably had some experience like this. Please tell me you have, and I'm not the only person. I'm in the shower now, and I'm thinking about the dream. And it was the weirdest experience, y'all. Again, I'm wide awake now. 
I get to the part where I first see Lucy and the feelings of the dream catch me and it startles me. I'm terrified. I'm wide awake in the shower naked, terrified. Listen, I was so scared, I got out of the shower buck naked and started saying, Diane, I just wanted somebody to be with me. (laughs) The house is empty, so I get back into the shower, and I get down on my knees in the shower, and I said, God, help me, this is completely irrational. (laughs) Straighten this out, clear this up, help this go away. And I sense God say something to me. It's one of less than two handfuls of times in my life that I felt like God spoke to me. And he said, that's my church. And I knew then, it was us. It was the church that we were going to go start in Northern Virginia. That it was our dream. You would have never heard that dream, I promise you. Except when we moved to Northern Virginia, I was 39. Maybe I was 40. Anyway, I had been told for years, you know, your family history is such, your physicality is such. When you get to be 40, you're going to have to get aggressive about taking care of your heart and your health. So we found an internist in Reston that we could go to for our general practitioner. And I went to this guy first. You know, he's one of these kind of old school doctors who was awesome. When you did a physical with him, he would take like three hours. And go to this guy and tell him my family history. And he's, wow, okay, you know, what medications are you taking? I tell him, and he says, well, listen, the classification of blood pressure medication that you're on today is it's just not good. It steals from your kidneys to help your heart. There's much better kinds of medication now. We've got to get you off of that medication. Here's what I want you to do. Stop taking your medicine for a month. Come back to see me. Let's get a baseline blood pressure, and then let's try different medication regimens to see what will bring your medication down. I say, okay, so I leave his office after this long physical. The next time I come in, a month later, I'm just going to come in for 10 minutes. He's going to nurse checks my blood pressure. They find out what it is. It scares me to death, which it always did over the years. And he finds my blood pressure, and then he starts me on new kinds of medication. And I go in, and uh, they call my name. I go back, and the nurse comes in, puts the blood pressure cuff on. She looks at my blood pressure, and she says, wait, let's take that again, which is not what I want to hear. <laughs> at this point, I think I'm having a stroke. So she takes it again. She says, okay, I'm going to go get the doctor. And I said, wait, 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 wait. What? And she says, well, no, it's okay. I just I want him to you know, talk about this with you. I'm terrified. She goes out. She gets the doctor. doctor comes in five minutes later, talks to me for a few minutes, and takes my blood pressure. And he says, I don't understand. And I said, what? And he said, your blood pressure is 120 over 80. It's less than it was when I took it before while you were on medication. Have you changed your diet? And I said, well, if you mean more McDonald's, yes. (laughs) Have you started working out? Have you? I said, No. And he said, well, I don't know what to tell you. You need to go buy a blood pressure cuff and take your blood pressure constantly and come back and see me in a week. So I leave the office. On my way home, I buy a blood pressure cuff. I took my blood pressure morning, noon, and night, all week long, 120 over 80. At some point, Diane says to me, wow, I think you're healed. And then I knew the dream was real. But God actually healed me. The last time I had a physical, November a year ago, I think, my blood pressure was 120 over 80. When times get tough, as they have at times over the last six or seven years, I remember God's call. I remember what he's done in my life. 
There have been times when I have regretted that my children grew up in this area. Tremendous opportunities. We've got some of the best schools in the world, but they're being cooked in a soup of self-indulgent materialism. And I've regretted that. But I remember God's call on my life, and it keeps me going. Many times when I felt like I'm not the person to lead this church, especially in the next stage of our life together, I don't have the skills to do this. But the call of God keeps me going. As we celebrate 15 years, let's celebrate the call of God on Gateway's life. And I want you this week and over this month, I want you to think about the call of God on your life. What has he called you to do and be a part of? And has God called you to be part of this church? Do you feel his nudging in this direction? If not, please go somewhere else. (laughs) And if so, then get connected. We've got to be honest about our own story because our call is about our story. We've got to be earnest about our own effort because our call is about our story. And we've got to remember God's activity on our behalf because our story is, is about God. And we've got to listen for God's voice, for his stirrings, because our story is about God. Let me pray. God, thank you for what you're doing here and what you're about to do. We give it to you. We've heard you speak today, Lord, and we ask that you would wrap up and seal and protect what you've said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.